I, I use that the Michael Jordan example all the time to people who want to be writers is here's the guy there's maybe the greatest athlete in the history of the world or one of the greatest athletes in the history of the world. I happen to think he was the greatest athlete ever, but and he couldn't get out of minor league baseball. The hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a round ball with a round bat. And and Jordan Jordan was, you know, he was admirably pretty good. As you know, even to get to the minor leagues, you got to be damn good. But but it would it would take a just as it would in writing or fiddling it's it's going to take quite a commitment you know at least a decade to get you know to get good at something and jordan just didn't have a decade to to, uh, to do it so yeah i use that example all the time especially when i have friends come to me and say oh, not just my students but i want to write a book i think i'll write a book and no matter how successful or smart you are there's still it's still a craft hello and welcome to episode 59 of the irish baseball podcast i'm your host rick becker that was russ bradbird writer professor broadcaster basketball coach and fiddler talking about how he uses the example of michael jordan's baseball career when he teaches writing on the show today russ bradbird will be my guest we'll talk about his book patty on the hardwood and so much more the Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. To become a member, head to irishbaseball.org. Let's welcome Russ Bradbird. Thanks for being here, Russ. Good to be here, Rick. Thank you. So the first thing we're going to have to discuss here, obviously on this show, is Patty on the Hardwood, your book about coaching basketball in Ireland. This has to be so interesting going from coaching on a big level here in the United States where basketball is ubiquitous, where kids are playing basketball from literally they put the baskets in their cribs and their nursery rooms to a place where it's not like that. So what was that experience like for you? Well, Originally, I'd gone over to Ireland thinking this will be easy because I'm an American. And so I'll just sweep through this Irish Super League, this so-called Irish Super League. And I thought it would, I thought it would be easy. Um, and I was over there to work on another book. I was actually working on a book of fiction at the time. But it was immediately such a strange place to coach that I started taking notes and kind of keeping a journal, a diary, that uh, partly to help me keep my sanity because I was used to, as, as you can imagine, as I was a division one assistant coach for, for, you know, for 14 years and had been to eight NCAA tournaments and was used to playing in front of, you know, 12,000 fans and televised games. And I was never the head coach, so it wasn't quite the same pressure, but I was an assistant and at a pretty high level. And then, you know, got to Tralee in County Kerry, Ireland, and it was wooden backboards and wooden backboard and a tile floor and we had to wait for the badminton crew to get done so we could practice and then we had to leave right away so the you know so the indoor soccer guys could come in and so I think it was such a shock to me that I started keeping a diary and that was originally how the book got started. So as somebody who played basketball you know through high school with me when I was over in Ireland, there were a few times where I saw pickup basketball games in a park, and I thought, man, I just, I would love to hop in on this game because <laughs> some of the competition looked, you know, fairly easy to beat. But was I maybe mistaken? Is there a lot of good talent 
Well, Irish basketball, it doesn't pay well. It's near the bottom of the pay scale in terms of internationally. But I was surprised the players were better than I thought. The problem, Rick, is that in a country where it rains all the time, there's just limited gym space. And so there's just not enough gym space to go around. You know, like right now I live in New Mexico and it's it's fairly easy to get a, a, a gym here uh, because the outdoor sports never want to use it. The, the soccer teams and the baseball teams and the football teams all practice year round. And we're, but in Ireland, you can't get, there's just not enough gym time for everybody considering considering the weather. Uh, but what I found was that I found that, the, that skill-wise, they were a little bit behind because of that, because there's nobody in Ireland, hardly anyone in Ireland gets to play every day like they do in America. But what I did find, which I was kind of heartening, was how tough and rugged the Irish players were. Once they were committed, which was a big deal, getting them committed, because they would miss practice to go to the dentist and miss practice to go to their cousin's christening and that kind of thing. But once you got them committed, they would fight to the death. And there was, you know, there was, I remember, you know, a guy, a guy coming out of the, out of the game with his nose bloody and his tooth wobbly and blood all over the place. And he would not come out of the game. And, and I, I think they were, they were fighters to their core. And so once, but the, the hard part of course, was to get them to that level of commitment because once they were in boy, they were all in and they'd fight to the death. So we normally focus on Irish baseball and we've talked about, the different ways we've tried to build the game of baseball over in Ireland, but it's probably a pretty similar experience to growing a sport like basketball, where most of the players over there are probably familiar with the sport. It is a worldwide game now. As a matter of fact, maybe basketball at this point more than even baseball. So what do you find as a coach are the things that are the hardest to teach to a group of players that are learning a game for the first time? Well, I, I think I'd answer that question in two ways. One, I remember when I was in college, I still I still love Bruce Springsteen, but when I was in college, I was a complete Bruce Springsteen fanatic. I'd camp out for tickets and that kind of thing. And you'd go to the go to the concert and there'd be, you know, 40,000 people at the football stadium or whatever. But then you never heard Springsteen on the radio. And I remember thinking even then at the time thinking, Something's missing here. Like he's so popular, but the media hasn't hadn't quite copped on to Springsteen's popularity or the radio had well, I feel it's it's some in some ways it's similar for basketball in Ireland in that if you go to you can go to a Gaelic football match, an important club match within the county, and there might be two hundred people there, but there there'd be eight hundred at the basketball game, yet Gaelic football was getting all the attention in the media. And so I feel I do think it's it's much as you mentioned, it's much more popular in Ireland than you might suspect. Certainly, uh, I I imagine it's more popular than baseball, at least now. Yet baseball has had something like 50 Irish-born players that wound up in Major League Baseball, where basketball has only had Pat Burke, who's the Florida native, or not Florida, he's a Dublin native that moved to Florida as a kid and played for Auburn and wound up, you know, a decent NBA player for uh, three or four years. But I would say the, the hard part, I think basketball is such a skill sport that one of the things I loved about basketball, which is similar to fiddling, which we can get to, I suppose, but is that in basketball, you go practice by yourself, which you can't do in baseball. It's hard to practice baseball by yourself, but in basketball, you've got to spend hours by yourself. Then you go to the group 
and you realize, geez, I can't shoot a three-pointer or I can't dribble with my left hand or, or whatever it is you wrote, then you go back and practice some more. Well, it, 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 when there's no gym time and it's raining all the time and there's hardly any playgrounds, and besides that, they're, they're completely paranoid in Ireland about lawsuits, is that oftentimes as soon as school's over, they lock up the playground and there's this beautiful court and no one can get to it because they're, 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 it's a litigious culture now. America can be like that, but you don't have trouble finding a, an outdoor basketball court in America. Almost anywhere in the country, you can go find outdoor courts. And so there's almost no outdoor courts. It's raining. It's windy. There's no nets up. And it's it's hard for the players to get the, to get the skills which are important, which are important to get. And it's only through skill and time and repetition. As, as you know, Rick, it's not hard to get good at shooting free throw. I mean, not, there's, it's not exhausting to get good at shooting free throws. That's not exhausting to be a good dribbler or a good jump shooter, but you've got to spend the time. And when there's no, when there's no facilities to improve those skills, the Irish players are going to naturally be behind. But again, where they're ahead all the time, is in, in, in mental toughness. They're tough, tough guys. I mean, they can be a little bit intimidating. And I, I remember thinking these guys are hard, tough men that were playing in the Irish Super League. So you just mentioned it, and maybe we could move right into this. It is a good segue. And that is your fiddling. Why don't you talk about that a little for us? Well, I'm I'm not Irish at all, but I was very interested in, in the music. My, my mother made me play the violin as a boy, and I quit after about four years. But then when I was in my 30s, I, I came back to it and thought, let me try this. So I, I started taking it very seriously, and I went to Ireland on holiday with a friend in 2001, I think it was, and we just went around and listened to the music everywhere. And I had this idea in my head that I was going to find this Ireland this ancient Ireland that I'd read about in the books of James Joyce. And, and, uh, and, and I got very enamored with the Irish music and I thought, I'll just come over here and I'll, I'll learn the fiddle and work on my writing and I'll just do the basketball as a job. Cause that will be easy. Well, any coach that thinks it's going to be easy is an idiot. And I was an <laughs> idiot. I, I, I just thought, I thought that there, I thought that I would sweep through because I had this, I'd worked for a couple famous coaches. I'd worked for Don Haskins and Lou Henson and surely I'll, but, but I was, first of all, the, the level of coaching in Ireland was far better than what I anticipated. Not only what, although I was the highest paid coach my first year, I don't think I wasn't even close to being the best coach. And, and uh, in fact, I wasn't even the best American-born coach. There was another guy there named Pat Price that was a. I quickly realized like this guy is a better coach than I am. Um, but but I but the the music was always an escape for me. So even when my first year, which is most of my book documents that first year when we lost, uh, there's it covers two years, but most of it covers the losing season. You know, Rick, they say that history is written by the winners. But literature is written by the losers. And we came in in last place my first year. But it was there was always a sort of a joy and comfort. I could always go and forget about my troubles and forget about my terrible season and go to the music and get lost in the music. But I did find, as I mentioned before, there is a, a similarity. I, I had a, a wonderful teacher, a, a sort of a reclusive hermit named Patty Jones. And he said to me during our, I, would, I was self-taught up till that time. And he said to me, uh, the first day I was went to my lessons with him, he said, you know, Russ, you it's not your fault. You weren't raised in the tradition. And so you've got a lot of bad habits. And I thought, that's exactly what I said to my team the day before. I had said, look, it's not your guys' fault. You weren't raised in the tradition. It's not your fault. It's going to take some time. And I thought, well, that's weird. Either Patty Jones 
came to my practice and snuck in without me seeing him, or there's a lot of similarities between the American trying to learn the Irish tradition and the Irish players trying to learn what I felt like was the American tradition of basketball. And so it actually, I think it actually made me a better coach. It made me realize it's important to be a student of something because otherwise I think you can lose patience with your students. I know as I'm a writing professor now and it's started to happen to me where I think, aren't these damn kids ever going to learn? Well, no, they're never going to learn. They're always going to be 19 years old. And I keep getting older and the students keep being 19 and 20 years old. So I do think it's important for all of us as coaches and teachers to never lose patience with the kids and to think, okay, they're learning. I learned at one time and I have to sort of, and the fiddle really helped me because, you know, fiddle kit, you can really sound terrible on the fiddle when you're first starting out. And I think, you know, I had to always sort of remember what it was like to be the new kid and the, and the beginner and to be the new guy and to be welcomed and not to feel like you were being disparaged by the experts. You know, that story actually reminds me of the documentary on the Chicago Bulls, The Last Dance, when Jordan stepped away and played baseball and he sort of saw what it was like to not be the best player in the building every time you know, he stepped on the court. Like that was what his basketball career was like by that point. And then once he stepped back and reminded himself what it was like to have to grind and to be learning every day, it made him a better leader for the Chicago Bulls later. So you sort of had that with the fiddle and making you a better basketball coach over in Ireland. That's a really great story. I, I use that, the Michael Jordan example, all the time to people who want to be writers. Is Here's the guy, there's maybe the greatest athlete in the history of the world, or one of the greatest athletes in the history of the world. I happen to think he was the greatest athlete ever, but and he couldn't get out of minor league baseball. The hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a round ball with a round bat. And, and Jordan, Jordan was, you know, he was admirably pretty good. As you know, even to get to the minor leagues, you got to be damn good. But, but it would, it would take a, just as it would in writing or fiddling, it's, it's going to take quite a commitment, you know, at least a decade to get, you know, to get good at something. And Jordan just didn't have a decade to, to, uh, to do it. So yeah, I use that example all the time, especially when I have friends come to me and say, not just my students, but I want to write a book. I think I'll write a book. And no matter how successful or smart you are, there's still it's still a craft. And and as as we as you know, but as well as anybody, the hardest craft in the in the world, in the sporting world to do is to hit a round ball with a round bat that's coming at you at 95 miles an hour. And so even Michael Jordan couldn't master that in despite his background. So I think that's an excellent example. And I use that one all the time. So your basketball coaching experience had you in two cities that I really love. I think they're kind of overlooked cities in the United States. I used to live in Arizona, so a lot of times moving from the East Coast to the West Coast back and forth, I would go through Las Cruces and El Paso, and you coached at both New Mexico State and UTEP, the University of Texas at El Paso. What was it like coaching in that environment, which is another one sort of like Ireland, where basketball might not be top of mind when it comes to the sports world? Well, I think both areas actually wish wish that they were football schools, but they're not. It's just there's not enough 
population, but yet both both schools have a great tradition. By by the way, when I was a freshman, or my first not a freshman, my first year coaching, or maybe my second year coaching at UTEP, as their eight years, they dropped baseball. It's one of the great tragedies ever, and and they still don't have a baseball team. And I've never been able to get over that. That here's a place where you could ba- play baseball, uh, probably 340 days a year, and the other days it's just too hot. <laughs> but 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 uh, it's a great. I think it's a great tragedy that UTEP doesn't have a baseball team. New Mexico State has a pretty good baseball team, but I do think both both schools kind of wish they were football schools, particularly El Paso because it's part of Texas and football so big, but we did, there was no pro sports in either area. El Paso is the biggest city in America. I think there used to be that doesn't have a pro sports team. And so the, the fans really did get behind UTEP basketball and New Mexico state basketball. When I was at, when I worked at UTEP, UTEP led the state of Texas in basketball attendance, more than Texas Tech, more than the University of Texas, that we were getting 12,000 fans a game and we were we were national we were nationally ranked. So I, I do think they they do have they have a great affection for UTEP basketball and New Mexico State basketball, but I've always felt like there's sort of this underbelly pulling at it that they wish football was better. And so for example, when I worked at UTEP, I never made, we were nationally ranked and I never made what the football assistant coaches made. They always made more money. And I think they were always trying to get football going. But the problem is, as you probably know, Rick, is in basketball, it's inner city culture dominates basketball. And the Chicago mom would, I think, would typically say, I want my son as far away from Chicago as he can get. Football is more a suburban culture where mom and dad want to they want to go to the games and they want to tailgate and they want to, you know, walk into the from the parking lot. And 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 there's just not enough of a population for El Paso or uh, New Mexico State to draw on in terms of football. So neither of them have great football traditions. But but the, like UTEP has the Sun Bowl. They have the Sun Bowl seat, you know, it seats 60,000. It's one of the nicest football stadiums in the country. But they don't have a great football tradition. And I think it's just it has to do with the nature of where the recruits come from. And UTEP obviously does have that great basketball tradition going back to before the name change from Texas Western and winning a national championship. How much does that legacy stick around at UTEP? Well, that that always hangs over the program where, the, you know, they'd uh, Glory Road, the film, which got just about everything wrong, but it's still a fun film to watch. But, you know, Don Haskins won the championship in 1966 with the first all black starting lineup to win the NCAA title. And so that's that's always sort of hanging over everybody. And Haskins coached there for nearly 40 years. So his legacy, but, you know, and they've been pretty good for a long time. They, they haven't won an NCAA tournament game in, in more than 30 years, or I guess, close to 30 years now since they've won an NCAA tournament game, but they're usually pretty competitive in basketball. And, and New Mexico state has been even better in basketball, particularly in the last 20 years where we seem to be a regular, we, we beat university of Connecticut, UConn last year in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I don't coach anymore, I'm, but I'm the, te- I'm the television analyst, which is a great, a great gig for me, Rick. I, you know, like if we lose, I'm sad, but by the time I get to my car, I'm like, okay, time to go home and, you know, and, and I, I, by the time I get to my car, I'm over the 
traumatic loss. We're struggling this year, but but I'm still attached to the game. I'm still courtside wearing my sport coat with my tie to be the color analyst for home games at, at New Mexico State. So I've, I've stayed close to the game that way, but both programs, UTEP and New Mexico State, have long legacies. You know, UTEP, uh, New Mexico State went to the Final Four in 1970, a couple of years after Don Haskins had won the championship. And so both of them, I think both of them are much more known as basketball schools than football schools. But again, I do think, I do think there's a, there's an, what I think of as an undertow where I think the fans would really love for us to be good in football. And so they could put basketball behind them. I'll have plenty more to discuss with Russ Bradbird in a future episode of the Irish baseball podcast. However, On May 8th, John Fitzgerald will return to the show. John will be here to preview the Irish Wolfhounds upcoming game in New York in June. For more details, head to irishbaseball.org. Here is John, who's the president of the Irish American Baseball Society, talking about how the Wolfhounds could provide a template towards getting Ireland into the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, the short answer is there definitely is a path. It's a realistic path. The way it would happen would be if Ireland's national baseball team, which is not affiliated with this team, uh, with the Wolfhounds, but if Ireland's national baseball team set out to put together a team that could do well in the European championships, um, they would essentially have to win their current pool, which is the they're at the lower level of European baseball. They would need to win that, and then they would need to place somewhere in the middle of the pack in the higher level, which is called the A-pool. Hear more of my talk with John Fitzgerald on May 8th in episode 60 of the Irish Baseball Podcast.